born in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Hello everyone and welcome. This is Karen Schoen and you are listening to The Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. And uh, we're going to talk about the Alliance in a minute. When I looked at the calendar this week, I realized that This is going to be the beginning of September. So we have a couple of things to think about. One, of course, is it's hurricane season and it will be getting colder. There's nothing that you and I can do about that. It's hurricane season. It happens every year. It gets colder during that time because we head into winter and winter is colder. Therefore, All of this hype and nonsense and garbage about man-made global warming is exactly that. So it's time that we recognize that, yes, we do have climate change. The climate changes. It's supposed to change. That's the beauty of living on planet Earth. And we have to understand that we as humans can do very little about it, but we can prepare. So if you live in the great state of Florida, please prepare for hurricane season as you normally do. There's nothing to be afraid of, just prepare. Fortunately, we do have a very good response team, and it is uh, the next two weeks in Florida are tax holidays for preparation materials for the hurricane. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity to listen to Chairman Powell. He is the chair of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is a private corporation. It is not a public. It is not part of the government. They named it the Federal Reserve so that you would think that it is but it is not. It is a private organization. And right now, Chairman Powell thinks that the reason why we have inflation is because there are too many people working and making too much money. That absolutely make no sense to me. So I did as I always do. And I said, where is that coming from? Well, I found two incredible quotes that I want to share with you. And one is from Maurice Strong. He was the founder, the UN founder of Agenda 21. He was a billionaire. He made his money in oil. So why are they damning fossil fuel? Because they don't really want competition. If other people got into the fossil fuel industry, might take away some of his money. Fortunately, Maurice is gone but his words emanate. What did he say? He said, isn't it the hope for the planet that the industrial civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? 
And Paul Ehrlich, who is a professor of population studies, said a massive campaign must be launched to de-develop the United States. De-development means bring our economic system into line with the realities of ecology and the world resource situation. That's what we are facing. When the fathers of a program set the goals, set what they intend to happen, we can't be surprised when it's happening. So I looked at the calendar and I said, my goodness, this is Labor Day. I bet half of maybe even three quarters of the Americans have no idea what Labor Day is. They think, oh, isn't that wonderful? Another day to go shopping, to buy things that I don't need with money that I don't have. But it sounds good. It makes me feel good. Well, that's one of our problems, folks. Stop buying their garbage. Stop buying things from China. You don't need another Chinese shirt or a pair of pants in your closet to hang there. It is not necessary. Save your money and use your money wisely because unbeknownst to them and what they will continually say, boycotts really do work and they send the message. And that's what we need to do, send a message. Well, understanding that most people have no idea what Labor Day is all about, I asked one of my favorite historians to please join me today at this very important time and tell us what is Labor Day about? So Bill Federer, who produces the American Minute, Dot com. Go there and sign up for his minute, more than a minute. He does incredible research and will give you a wonderful idea of what is going on historically in America. I asked Bill to join me today and to tell us, Bill, what is Labor Day all about? Well, great to be with you, Karen. And uh, background, prior to our modern uh, day jobs. Most people were self-employed, bakers, butchers, carpenters, cabinet makers, upholsterers, tailors, milliners, cobblers, chandlers, which is candle making and cobblers and wheelwrights, blacksmiths, gunsmiths, apothecaries. It was all mostly small businesses. And then the industrial revolution started in the late 18th century. So this is actually around the time of the uh, revolution. So in Ireland, they burned peat moss, and peat is from bogs, and bogs are swamps where you have this black, mucky mud, but it has a lot of plant uh, fiber that has been packed in there, but it, it didn't dry out uh, because of being underwater. And so they would take this mud and bring it out of the swamp and let it dry out in blocks and then burn it. And it would burn like coal. Well, in Britain, they actually had coal mines. And then they would dig holes in the earth and get this coal out to spread all throughout England. And people would burn because they had gotten rid of their forests a long time earlier. Um, <laughs> the problem was these mines kept filling up with water. And so... They would try to, you know, use carts and, you know, wagons and try to get this water out. Well, they started inventing pumps. And a guy named James Watt, W-A-T-T, -T, 
invented a steam pump to pump water out of these coal mines. Well, once they realized that they could do things with steam, they began to apply it to other things, such as railroad engines, steam engines, steamboats, textile factories, uh, manufacturing machines. And all of a sudden, there's this birth of things that are uh, motivated or, or moved by steam. And so this is called the Industrial Revolution. And you had factories and you had workers in these factories. And so people started moving out of their other type of independent jobs into these factories. And uh, so another ingredient is um, in America, at the time we became a country, there was no income tax. There wasn't an income tax until 1913 with the 16th Amendment. Uh, prior to then, the federal government got its money through excise taxes, which was on specific items like salt, tea, tobacco, liquor, and tariff taxes, which were taxes on imports. Things were made in these British factories, like an entire bolt of cloth, and they could sell it really cheap in America. So America started making factories, and yet the British could make it cheaper still. So the tariff taxes made the stuff from England more expensive. And people would say, well, if it's a choice between a more expensive item from the English factories or something from the factories in America, because of these tariffs, the stuff in America is cheaper. So these tariffs, tariffs actually helped spur the Industrial Revolution in America. And the problem was most of the factories were in the north, you know, Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts, and the south was agricultural and had very, very few factories. And so when you place tariff taxes, the people in the South said, okay, we either have to buy more expensive stuff from England because of these tariffs, or we have to buy stuff from these Northern factories, but they were paying the brunt of the, the federal budget because they were still paying these tariffs. So 90% of a federal government budget was coming from the South, from them paying these tariffs. This eventually was some of the animosity that led up to the Civil War. And so these manufacturers in the North, they got very powerful. They turned into what's called uh, industrialists. And they would make the clothes real cheap and the glass and the dishes and the farm tools. Women were the most, the, the biggest beneficiary of the industrial revolution because they were the ones that did these tedious tasks of hand weaving thread, hand sewing cloth, hand washing dishes, carrying water from the well into the house. And, but now you could have pumps and pipes and they're coming directly into the home. And then you had iron and steel being used to make bridges and railroad tracks and skyscrapers and steamboats and mining machinery. And uh, in the early 1800s with uh, Robert Fulton inventing the steamboat, you had these advances and we were uh, moving ahead. And so then you had immigrants coming into America and these immigrants would leave their farms and they would come and work in the factories in America. And we welcomed these immigrants. Why? Because they were a net plus. There was no welfare programs. They were basically cheap labor. 
and they would come across and they would be hired at any price they were willing to take. And they would learn a skill and learn the language. And over a generation, they would be the ones that would start a business and end up becoming prosperous. And they would go down and hire immigrants from other countries that were coming across and to learn the language and learn the business and Irish and German and Italian and Jewish. And, and they would come into America in 1886. Uh, Grover Cleveland dedicated the Statue of Liberty to welcome immigrants. Again, there was no welfare programs. They weren't costing us anything. And they were just cheap labor, which was spurring our economy. They wanted to assimilate. They wanted to learn the American language. They were fleeing from political and religious persecutions in these other countries around the world. And they worked hard. Matter of fact, um, the term Protestant work ethic uh, was one of these terms used for these immigrants because they had this uh, biblical concept that the lazy person buries his talent and the godly person will multiply it. And, um, and so the, the country was experiencing an economic growth quicker and faster than any other country in the history of the world. Uh, you had somebody named Horatio Alger, and he was a best-selling novelist. And he, beginning in 1867, would write these rags to riches stories. And uh, this was before the days of TV. This is before the days of Disney and Teletubbies and everything else. Horatio Alger would write these uh, books. One is called Strong and Steady or Paddle Your Own Canoe. Another's uh, Shifting for Himself or Gilbert Grayson's Fortune or Ragged Dick. And, and so these were stories of some poor immigrant kid comes across, starts selling apples on the streets of New York, and then gets a job sweeping floors and then gets a job doing this and, and works his way up. And by the end of the book, he's a millionaire and he's going, you know, helping people and so forth. And so these rags to riches stories, those, these were bestsellers. And it planted the seed in people's minds that you can work hard and you can become really successful. And, uh, and so this was great. Another one, 1894, Orison, Sweet, Marden, uh, wrote Pushing Up to the Front, and he founded Success Magazine, and he published inspirational stories of people with hard work and well-rounded virtues, you know, being trustworthy and uh, responsible and them becoming successful. And uh, and so rising water floats all boats. Somebody becomes successful, what do they do? They buy stuff, that, which means that other people have to make stuff. And so they have to hire more people to make more stuff. And so then you had more immigrants coming over. And by this time, in the middle 1800s, in Germany, you had Karl Marx. And he invented critical race theory. And this is where you uh, divide a country into groups. And in Germany, it was the proletariat versus the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners. And they had hereditary wealth that they passed on for centuries. And, uh, and so Karl Marx had this idea of let's unite the workers against the business owners and let's create a crisis and riots and then we'll destabilize and then we can set up something new called socialism and it'll be wonderful. And so the, uh, the what he didn't realize is that when you have socialism, that means the government basically owns everything and whoever is in the government gets to decide who gets what. 
And so instead of the hardworking person accumulating wealth and deciding that he wants to be charitable and give away some money here and Andrew Carnegie starting schools and libraries all around the country, instead of the individual getting the stuff and distributing it, you have politicians getting the stuff and them giving out government contracts to their family and friends. And so you're still having a concentration of power. It's just called socialism. It's a ruling class of party members versus a ruling class of people who have worked hard to get to their positions. Uh, and I will say that international capitalism without a conscience is the same as communism. And so you have globalists that are more than happy to work with a socialist government to put out of business all the competitors so they can be the only one supplying a product and they're happy. Uh, and so there's a difference between local capitalism with a conscience versus this globalist capitalism without a conscience and all they want is money so you have the british east india company growing opium in india and shipping it into china it's called the center of humiliation for china and so i wanted to make the distinction between local capitalism versus the global but anyway so you had in germany karl marx and him coming up with this class struggle concept and then lots of german immigrants coming to america and these German immigrants come to America, we don't have a, a hereditary class with centuries and centuries of wealth that's passed down. Ours are people that have made their wealth just within their own lifetime. But nevertheless, this socialist critical race theory comes across and they say, anybody that has wealth must be bad. And so let's agitate. And so um, these Germans were printing flyers in the German language that would say, we're going to organize a protest. And so one May of 1886, they organized a protest in Chicago near the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company. They made tractors. And this is what's called the Hay Market Riot. And uh, it was mostly peaceful protesters until somebody threw a dynamite bomb at the police. And the blast killed seven police officers, four civilians, dozens wounded. And so they built a memorial to honor these fallen police officers, but these socialists wanted to dedicate May 1st as International Workers' Day. And uh, then again, you had another incident in 1894 with the railroad strike. And uh, George Pullman, who had started from nothing, and now he's building railroad cars called the Pullman Railroad Sleeping Car Company, just outside of Chicago. And he thought he would make a utopian society. So he had the little business uh, the, the little neighborhood where the workers would work, the little shops where the workers would shop, and they even could get paid with company credit that they could cash in at the store. And it was like uh, this little utopian workers' paradise community. Uh, well, what happens with this Pullman railroad car strike is uh, they uh, not only strike, but a guy named Eugene Debs, and he got his first job cleaning grease from freight train cars. And then he goes to the brotherhood of locomotive firemen. And then he works his way up and he organizes this railroad strike. Well, they end up destroying $80 million worth of railroad cars and railroad property in 27 States. There's rioting going across America and they're burning things across America. They're smashing windows. They're setting things on fire. No, it's hard for us to imagine that you could have somebody organizing riots all across America. And, and the country's panicking. It's called Deb's Rebellion. 
And uh, the New York Times called Eugene Debs a lawbreaker at large, an enemy of the human race. And so Grover Cleveland dis dis declared the strike a federal crime. Well, because you're interrupting interstate commerce, you're interrupting the, the carrying of mail, uh, U.S. mail across uh, state borders. And so Grover Cleveland deploys 12,000 army troops to break this strike. More violence erupts. Two men were killed. These devastating riots and shutdowns, the Americans were discontented uh, with this Democrat administration. And then uh, you had a Democrat advisor, Francis Lind Stetson, warned President Grover Cleveland regarding the upcoming midterm election of 1894. We are on the eve of a very dark night unless a return of commercial Prosperity relieves popular discontent with what they believe is democratic incompetence to make laws and conversely with democratic administrations anywhere and everywhere. So Cleveland thought it might improve his party's chances if workers were given a day off. So to support this, he wanted to have a national labor day. But he did not want it to be May 1st, which was the International Workers' Day that the socialists and communists were organizing in countries all around the world so that they could uh, have these riots and overthrow the ruling class and set up their communism. So he didn't want us to be in agreement with that International Workers' Day. And so he chose the first Monday in September to celebrate Labor Day. Now, did it help? As far as the 1894 election went, it did not help. Cleveland's Democrat Party had the biggest midterm loss in decades. Patriotic Americans in opposition to the socialists began celebrating uh, May 1st as Loyalty Day instead of calling it Labor Day. So you had uh, Eisenhower made this Loyalty Day a, uh, an annual holiday. Now, strike organizer Eugene Debs, he was arrested for mail obstruction, you know, hindering the delivery of mail because of these railroad strikes. He was put in jail for six months. What does he do in jail? He reads Karl Marx's book, Das Kapital, and he gets totally enmeshed in communism. And so uh, the, the socialists began to demand a corporate income tax to take away money from these corporations, okay? And then they, they socialists pushed through a personal income tax in 1914. Let's take money away from these rich industrialists. The original income tax was a 1% tax only on the top 1% richest people in America. So we have these socialists to thank for corporate income tax, personal income tax. And then they pushed through an inheritance tax in 1916. Why? Because these, these, these industrialists had an inheritance and we didn't want them leaving it to their kids. And so Eugene Debs and the other rioters were defended in court by Clarence Darrow, D-A-R-R-O-W. You know him because Clarence Darrow defended evolution in the Scopes Monkey Trial. Yep. So, so um, after six months in prison, Eugene Debs is released, and he founds the Socialist Demo the Social Democracy of America Party in 1897. And then he founds the Socialist Democratic Party of America in 1898. And then he founds the Socialist Party of America in 1901. Debs ran for U.S. president on the Socialist Party of America ticket. He won zero electoral votes. 
He opposed the electoral process. World War I starts. Eugene Debs earns, uh, ur urges resistance to the war, and he advocates draft dodging. So when uh, we have World War I, we have Eugene Debs uh, encouraging people to be draft dodgers. One of those who followed Eugene Debs's call to be a draft dodger was Roger Baldwin, who founded the ACLU. Roger Baldwin said, I am for socialism. I seek social ownership of property, abolition of the property class, sole control of those who produce wealth. Communism is the goal. 1918, Debs was charged with 10 counts of sedition and sentenced to 10 years in prison. And then in protest of his sentence, you had unionists, anarchists, socialists, communists, and they began to march and do more rioting. And so in May Day Parade in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, in 1919, their peaceful protest broke out into an Antifa-style riot, with smashing things and setting on fire and burning things. And when Debs's attorney asked for a presidential pardon from Woodrow Wilson, Woodrow Wilson denied Debs and wrote across the, the paperwork denied. And then he said, while the flower of American youth was pouring out its blood to vindicate the cause of civilization in World War I, this man, Debs, stood behind the lines, sniping, attacking, and denouncing them. This man was a traitor to his country, and he will never be pardoned during my administration. The next president was Warren G. Harding. He did not pardon Debs. He gave a White House release. There is no question of his guilt. He is a dangerous man calculated to mislead the unthinking and affording excuse to those with criminal intent. In 1979, Bernie Sanders produced a documentary praising Eugene Debs, and he hung a portrait of Eugene Debs in the city hall in Burlington, Vermont, and he dedicated a plaque to Eugene Debs in his congressional office, Bernie Sanders. Now, the same time World War I was going on, the same time Eugene Debs was organizing draft dodgers, you had Vladimir Lenin organize the Bolshevik Revolution to sort of do the same thing that Debs was doing over here, but he's doing it over in Russia. And so Debs and Vladimir Lenin are sort of doing the same thing, organizing people, rioting, overthrowing things. But Lenin succeeds. Bill, uh, he over I'm going to ask you if you can stop for a minute. We're going to have to take a break and then we'll be right back. Would that be okay? Sure. Yeah. And by the way, all this information is on the website, AmericanMinute.com. Absolutely, folks. Go and sign up for American Minute. It is so important. And don't go away. We will be right back. This is so important. And now it's easy to see why all of this historical information must be eliminated, that our children, our children's children, and today's Americans have no idea of the history of America. But don't go away because you will find out world-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. 
It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has. Creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Back again, this is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. We are with Bill Federer today, and we are getting a lesson that most people have no idea. Oh, riots. We never had riots in America. Oh, we never had dissent in America. Oh, everything was always wonderful. Well, if we knew our history, we wouldn't be repeating it today. So I have asked Bill to stay with us and pick up where he left off at Lenin so that we can continue the American history. Thank you, Bill. Well, thank you. And so you had in Europe, there were the wealthy elites that for 
uh, hundreds of years had consolidated control of the property. This would be like the Oprah Winfrey's and the Bezos and the Zuckerberg's and the George Soros's and um, all these people. And so the common people were dissatisfied with that. They saw in America where individuals could rise up. And so you had someone present a solution to this named Karl Marx. And he says, let's organize the working class to riot and to begin to tear down this system. And uh, then you had a lot of these German immigrants coming to America. Now, in America, we didn't have a moneyed class that had been there for centuries and centuries. The country was pretty well brand new. And the most of the people that had money had gotten it within their own lifetime. They they worked hard and they moved themselves up the, the ladder. But yet these uh, people coming across brought with them this class warfare concept. And so the leader of this in America was Eugene Debs. The leader of this in Russia was Vladimir Lenin. And so both of them would organize riots against the ruling class. And um, uh, in uh, Russia, they overthrew the czar. The generals, they told them, sit, you know, don't defend the czar. And once we get rid of him, we'll put you in charge. And so all these generals sat there while they put the czar on a train car to Siberia with his family where they got killed. And then these generals show up at um, St. Petersburg, Leningrad, thinking they're going to be put in charge of the country. Lenin lines them up, shoots them all. <laughs> and, then, and then Lenin begins to put his people in and he takes over the country. And then he realizes that these Kulak farmers were resisting him. These were middle-class farmers. They were hardworking and they were Mennonites in the 1600 Jed Menno Simmons, who was a sort of like a Quaker. He was in the Holland and they were nonviolent and where the different countries of Europe got their own country, like the Lutherans got Germany and the Calvinists got Switzerland and the you know Presbyterians got Scotland and the Catholics, you know, kept Spain and Austria. Well, the, the Mennonites didn't get any land and the uh, uh, the monarch in Russia said, come over here. We've got some free land for you. And it and so they get over there and it just happens to be a buffer land between the Ottoman Turkish Muslim Empire and Russia. And so it's like and, and it's called uh, Ukraine and the Crimea. That's the area. And and so they were like the buffer between Russia and, and this Turkish Muslim empire figuring, well, if they're going to attack us, you're going to be the buffer and get attacked first. And um, But for several centuries, these Mennonites worked hard. They were called Kulaks. And then when Lenin does his takeover, he does not like them because they're independent farmers and they can pool their money and they can challenge him. And, they, uh, and so what does he do? He sends his men out to kill the kulaks. He does an extermination. And he says, don't just kill them, hang them in the square. And P.S., get tougher men. And um, 
<laughs> one time Lennon wrote that he was listening to, you know, Beethoven or Bach. And he says, I can't listen to music because it, it makes you soft when you should be bashing people over the head and killing them. And so he's only like, um, so these poor Kulaks get killed and they happen to have been the farmers. And so this is around 1920. And so there's a food shortage and they have a famine and millions of people die. It's like, duh, you kill the farmers. There's no food. Um, but when Stalin comes along, he realizes that this, this, this eliminating a food supply is actually good. Because if you can eliminate the food, it brings the people to their knees and they don't have time to think about rebelling. And so this is how uh, uh, Stalin killed the Ukrainians. And he would truck all the food out of the Ukraine and surround it and, and uh, you know, starve them to death and so forth. And because that's the breadbasket. And so Stalin controlled people through fear and food. You always keep a food shortage. You want to destroy the factories and the food processing plants. And you want to destroy the infrastructure because then if people don't have food, they can't have time to think about rebelling and organizing against you. And then you f use fear and you can just drag away a family in the night. Uh, FBI raids somebody's house and kills somebody and, and they get away with it. And so everybody's living in this fear and everybody will have a food shortage. And this is a way that you can have a dictator control large masses of people that don't like him. And so um, anyway, so we, we talked about Lenin organizing these rioting in Russia to overthrow this centuries old ruling class. It worked instead of them coming up with a alternative like America, it flipped to a dictatorship of the communist party. And so they went from the frying pan into the fire. Um, it, it went from bad to worse. And, uh, but in America, instead of Vladimir Lenin, you had Eugene Debs and he is organizing railroad strikes. He's organizing riots. Um, they're smashing things. They're Antifa type stuff. They're, they're pulling things down and so forth. And, um, and one of the people that followed him was Roger Baldwin, who started the ACLU. And he said, I am for socialism. Eugene Debs is finally put in prison. They have uh, May Day riots of 1919. And so while he's in prison, they're doing riots. And um, Woodrow Wilson uh, does not pardon Eugene Debs because he said our young men were fighting World War I and he was getting them to be draft dodgers. Bernie Sanders puts a, a picture of Eugene Debs up in his office in Burlington, Vermont. And then he puts a plaque up in his office, in his congressional office, praising Eugene Debs. Eugene Debs started the Socialist Party of America in 1920. And they ran uh, candidates for president every year up, uh, up until Franklin Roosevelt. And so when Franklin so branching off of Eugene Debs' Socialist Party of America was the Communist Party USA. And so I have to explain. Lenin said socialism is a transition phase between capitalism and communism. So socialism is the road. Communism is the destination. And socialism is just a transition phase. So you're taking away the capital as the individual ownership of property, and you're gradually moving it into the government with socialism and then finally completely in the government with the communists. So the communist party USA ran candidates for president every year from 1920 to the 1940s. And then world war II starts and Democrat president Franklin Roosevelt makes a treaty with Stalin during world war II. 
And so the Communist Party says of USA says, why should we run our separate candidate when here you have a Democrat candidate making treaties with the biggest socialist communist leader, Joseph Stalin? And so from Roosevelt on, the Communist Party of America has has been infiltrating and supporting Democrat Party candidates. And this is where you have Ronald Reagan saying, you know, I was a Democrat, but I didn't leave the party. The party left me. Well, this is how it left. They were infiltrated by these socialists. So uh, in Chicago, they had that Haymarket riot, that very first riot that, um, you know, Debs helped to encourage. Uh, and they had a statue built up. Well, that that statue stayed there up until October 6th of 1969 when Bill Ayers and Eric Mann and their Weather Underground had their days of rage. We're getting back to these Antifa riots, and they tear down this statue. Well, they rebuilt it a couple years later. Well, the Weather Underground, Bill Ayers, Eric Mann, they blow it up again on the same day, October 6, 1970. And then this weatherman, Bill Ayers, um, he's part of uh, a bomb set off in the U.S. Capitol building. And then they set off bombs in um, Los Angeles, in, in New York, all around, and nail bombs. You know, his girlfriend gets killed. And then Bill Ayers goes on to, uh, he's the son of, of a wealthy guy in Chicago. Uh, Bill Ayers gets into a professorship at a university, and then he launches the career of somebody named Barack Obama. He has a fundraiser at his house for Barack Obama. And Bill Ayers said, I am a radical leftist, small C communist. Maybe I'm the last communist who's willing to admit it. The ethics of communism still appeal to me. I don't like Lenin as much as early Marx. Like you can tell a difference between them all. <laughs> Another weatherman named Eric Mann. Um, he trains more rioters. And one of them is Patrice Cullors. And she's the founder of Black Lives Matter. And Patrice Cullors says, in 2015, myself and Alicia are particular, in particular, are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. We are super versed on sort of ideological theories. And so we've been experiencing this continual um, movement. Uh, in America, laborers worked hard for wages so they could buy trucks and houses and cars and guns and boats and other personal possessions. They could also be moved to give away their possessions in something called charity. Reagan said in 1988, I believe God did give mankind unlimited gifts to invent, produce, and create. Booker T. Washington, uh, who founded the National Business National Negro Business League, he said, anyone can seek a job, but it requires a person of rare ability to create a job. Um, what we should do in our schools is turn out fewer job seekers and more job creators. Well, in socialist countries, laborers were forced to work hard, but they could own no possessions. They could not own uh, cars and trucks and certainly not guns. And the, the government owned it all. And I've talked to people that grew up in the 1980s in the Soviet Union before it fell. And they said nobody would fix up their house because if you fixed up your house really nice, a communist party member could go buy it and say, that's a pretty house. I want it. And the next week they would have some drummed up charges and the FBI would raid your house and drag you away in the middle of the night. And a couple of weeks later, the communist party member would be living in your house. So everybody had their houses get looked dumpy on the outside. 
and they tried to make him look good on the inside, but there wasn't anything at the store. If something broke, you really couldn't fix it. One guy I talked with said he had a, a car and the carburetor broke, but there was no carburetors in the, there was no auto parts stores. And so he had to buy it on the black market. But the problem is once you buy anything on the black market, you're a criminal. And so the rest of your life, you're living with, so, uh, they may know about it. I talked to somebody else that lived in the Soviet Union at this time. They said, you go to a, a restaurant, all you hear is the clinking of the plates and the utensils. Nobody talks at a restaurant. And he said, why? I, I said, why? He says, because you don't know if the person sitting at the next table over is listening to your conversation and they could hear something and turn you in and you would get drugged away in the middle of the night and nobody would see you again. And so uh, they're monitoring, they're tracking everybody. They had internal passports, so they're tracking your movement in the country. And um, so in socialist countries, people had no possessions. They certainly didn't have anything to give away as charity because the government owned everything. And the term communism comes from the Latin word communis, which means everything held in common. Uh, collectivism, there's no private ownership of anything. Even your children don't even belong to you. They belong to the state. And um, the government not just doesn't control the production side, but the consumption side. In 1971, John Lennon um, and his wife, Yoko Ono, wrote the song Imagine. And they said, imagine no possessions and no religion too. And so the no possessions, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, said uh, by 2030, you will own nothing, but you'll be happy. Um, and, I don't um, see how that works. I think we will own nothing and they will be happy. Yeah. And um, and then so instituting socialism in the West, in in Russia, they got away with it really fast with tanks. But in the West, it, it took longer. So there was a socialist named Antonio Gramsci. He gets on the wrong side of other socialists and they put him in prison where he dies. But he writes his prison notebooks, 1935. And he basically says in this new social order, um, socialism will triumph by capturing the culture, infiltration of schools and infiltration of universities, infiltration of churches, replacing Christianity and uh, with a woke social justice religion and, and a liberation theology. Um, and so um, it began to come into America. And now we're, we're, we're seeing it with many politicians. Uh, Anne Rand, who uh, was a uh, novelist that... Um, uh, Rand Paul, his father was Ron Paul, named him Rand Paul after Ayn Rand, who was this author. Uh, she said, there's no difference between communism and socialism, except in the means of achieving the same ultimate end. Communism proposes to enslave men by force, socialism by vote. It is merely dif the difference between murder and suicide. <laughs> Um, now, the, the unions in America, uh, they did come up with the eight-hour work week or work day and the 40-hour work week. They did come up with minimum wages. They did come up with safer working conditions and more benefits for the workers. Um, these were good things. But the problem was, as the cost of uh, complying with these went up, businesses began to move overseas. Henry Ford was um, trying to fight these unions. And so he is the first one on note to have Muslims come over from Yemen to work in his factories in Detroit uh, to break the unions because they wouldn't join the unions. 
And they kept coming over. And now that's where you have in Detroit and Hamtramck and all these neighborhoods that used to be Polish or whatever. Uh, they're now Arab and having their calls to prayer and their Islam and so forth. And um, but the 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 unions and then the, the responses to them are things of history. Um, but uh, again, as the higher wages it went up, uh, the more taxes, the lawsuits, regulations, businesses basically threw up their hands and said, let's just move overseas. And so they began to move everything to China and build their factories over there. So the unions did give us the the um, uh, eight hour work day, 40 hour work week. Uh, we did get our Labor Day out of it, but it did push business over to China. Once businesses left America, they were no longer patriotic. They're patriotic to the bottom line, and they became globalists. And so now these globalists, they're just interested in their money, and they really don't care about any particular country in general, and they're happy to work with communists as well. Um, and then again, I do point out the difference between individual capitalism, where you and I can decide to do a deal. Uh, you have something that I want, and I think it's valuable to me, and I will buy it from you. And so I'll give up something that's valuable that I have, money, in exchange for something that I consider valuable, the good. And and you'll sell it because you want my money. And, and so it's just a win-win, and nobody forces us to do it. And so that's capitalism in a local level, an individual level. Once it gets to be a international thing, that's when you have the Klaus Schwab's and the George Soros's. And if they don't have a conscience, capitalism without, capitalism without a conscience turns into communism. If they don't have a conscience, they're willing to do sex trafficking of children. They're willing to, you know, I mentioned like the British East India Company grew opium in India and forced it into China. And when the Chinese didn't want it, they had a war. It's called the, the Opium Wars. And this China called it the century of humiliation. But here you have a government involved in drug trafficking. So so capitalism without a conscience, it, it's equivalent of communism. And they're, they're happy to do that. But on an individual level, capitalism is you and I get to do a deal. I can have my pickup truck and I have a little roofing company and I'll put the roof on and, and you'll pay me some money. We can do it. We don't need the government you know, telling us as long as we agree to it. And um, anyway, um, so... A lot of history, and but um, it sort of gives the background of Labor Day. It certainly does, and I can't thank you enough. Um, and it is so important, folks, that we understand our history because what we're doing is repeating the same things over and over again, and we are allowing these people to get a foothold. Bill, where can everyone find you? On theamericanminute.com. Please go to Bill's website. It is incredible. His information is fantastic. And it is every day a lesson that you can homeschool your children and have your children understand what American history really is and the importance of morality as it plays a huge role in what we see today. Uh, these people have absolutely no morality. They have no desire to help anyone. Their whole desire of communism is control. And this is what it leads to. I remember reading, Bill, that uh, Detroit was actually the first 15-minute city. Everything was contained within your, your block, 
near your factory where you were building your car. And now today, look at what we have. We have no go zones in America. I never thought we would see that, but yet we have that. So where can people find you, Bill? Do you have social media that they can look at or just the American Minute? Um, Yeah, the best place is AmericanMinute.com. And you can look at the different books that we have there and sign up for the daily email. You can click on a media and watch a lot of the videos that uh, we produced. So AmericanMinute.com. Thank you. Um, And Bill, will you come back again and bring us some more history? Sure. Yeah. And the stuff I talked about today is in a book called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. Okay. Well, see, folks, Plato was the beginning. And yet most people don't realize that everything comes from something else. Uh, It gets refined. It gets reused. It gets redone. What do they say? There's nothing new under the sun. There really isn't. But if you don't know what's new and you don't know how to apply it, then we wind up repeating it and we repeat it with the same mistakes. So thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate everything. Thank you, Karen. It has been a pleasure as always. I hope you feel the way I do. Bill's information is so incredible. I wanted to share a few things with you before the end of the show. Very important. So get your pens and paper ready. If you live in the state of Florida, please write down 101.5604. That is Florida Statute 101.5604. That statute is very important as it will reflect upon our voting. The last sentence of that statute says that a county must use the electronic tabulators. We have now learned that AI, as well as our government, can infiltrate those tabulators. We are asking all people who live in Florida to please contact your local representative and senator and tell them to get the word must change to the word may. Get the word must change to the word may, so that if we see an impropriety in our county, we will be able to go back and count the paper ballots. Running the same ballots through the tabulator again and again and again will give you the same results. We have to be able to check those results, and we can only do that with the paper. This is a must-see documentary. So it's long title, but I will put it in my, I will put it in the show notes as well. This is on rumble.com forward slash V1XV8NS hyphen 2030 hyphen unmasked hyphen prepare hyphen for hyphen post hyphen COVID hyphen 19 hyphen deception dot HTML. Please check this one out and share, share, share. And the last item, folks, to me is one of the most important. 
get your kids out of those public indoctrination clinics masquerading as public schools. It is so important. The Florida Citizens Alliance has an amazing program. It's called the Micro Schools. Please go to goflca.org. Again, goflca.org. Click on the education link and go to the micro school section. If you can't mentor a child, you should be able to do something to help a child. We have to get our children back to being able to read, write, and do math so they don't fall into the communism trap. They don't fall into the critical race theory trap. They understand what's going on in America, and that will only happen if they have a real American education, if they know their rights and they know what they can do, if they cherish life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you all for listening. This is Karen Schoen. You have been listening to The Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. See you again next week.